0: Welcome to Conversations About Life. My name is Will Jackson, and I'd like to share with you a conversation I had with Ray Redledge. Um, Ray Redledge is the vice president and a part of the pastoral staff at the New Life Evangelistic Center. We talked about um, the history of the New Life Evangelistic Center and um, how Ray got involved with it. And we talked about, um, especially about um, the homeless ministry that um, he and um, the New Life Evangelistic Center is involved in. We also talked about um, his experience of um, the Christian life. And then we also talked about St. Louis as it pertains to um, the homeless. I hope that you enjoy it. Well, thanks, Ray. I appreciate time here and um, we're in the New Life Evangelistic Center building down on Locus in downtown St. Louis and um, well I, I guess as just a, a way to start out um, just to kind of get an idea of who you are as a person Ray would you just tell us a little bit about yourself how you were brought up and
1: yes uh, th- thank you well I appreciate the opportunity to to be your guest here today uh, uh, I was brought up in a Christian home. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, I, I looked at the time of about the age thirteen that I really seriously committed my life to Christ, and from that time onward i I was you know seeking to do god 's will for my life. And at an early age, I started to sense a call of God for, you know, full-time Christian work. And this was really confirmed upon me when, when I was really 19. <laughs> and at that time, in prayer, the, uh, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and, uh, and, uh, said to me, not in a not audibly but with the the thought that uh remember the times that you've that you went forward in the altar call and said that you would go anywhere for the Lord well now I'm calling you to do it <laughs> and th- with that thought then uh i I came face to face with with a a serious call of God, and uh I couldn't shake that feeling that thought and I remember this was in the winter time and, uh, I tried, you know, tried to shake it off and try to think, well, that was just a passing emotion, but I couldn't do that. And by the time, uh, that following spring, then I knew that, uh, I was going to have to go to a different college. I knew that the Holy Spirit was leading me to, to, uh, to make that change. I was already attending the University of Wisconsin at that time. And this was my second year. And, uh, the, the Lord was showing me to, that He wanted me to go to another college to continue my, my training, concentrating on the Bible and, and pastoral studies. So it was not an easy change for me. It was not an easy, uh, adjustment, but, uh, but I couldn't escape it. It was kind of like God had me by the, by the back of the neck and was just, just dragging me along. <laughs> And so I, so I did, and I went to, I ended up going to the, to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, which was a college of the assemblies of God, my denomination. And during my first year there, I was introduced to, uh, to Larry Rice, who, uh, is the, as many know, as the founder of New Life Evangelistic Center. And, uh, from there, God just began to speak to me about Becoming involved in this ministry in St. Louis, so that's a very brief synopsis of it. Uh, you're asking me about my upbringing. Well, I grew up, as I said, in a Christian home, a happy home. Uh, but it was when when God was starting to call me, uh, especially to come to St. Louis, uh, there was there was resistance on the part of my mother and dad. Uh, they uh, this you have to understand. Look at the the. The context at that time, this was the the day of the Jesus movement, when there were a lot of communes popping up here and there, some Christian, some very (laughs) unchristian, but uh, the the Jesus movement uh, uh, kind of uh, adopted a lot of the hippie culture, and so they were very wary of this, and so when I... uh, told them about the New Life Evangelistic Center. This was just a tiny little ministry at that time. It was a, basically Reverend Larry Rice and his wife, Penny, uh, who has, of course, later on went to be with the Lord. But uh, she, uh, the, the two of them were starting out in total faith, starting uh, this ministry, living, first of all, in a mobile home, a rented house trailer. And then later they... Uh, uh, were able to purchase a house on uh, Lafayette Square, which later on became a rather exclusive kind of uh, uh, area of gentrification but uh, but at that time it was just at the, on the cusp of of uh, urban renaissance uh, and families couples young couples were just starting to move into the neighborhood and buy these houses and start to uh, restore them and so thats that 's when we arrived there on Lafayette Square and uh so my I came with my parents uh to saint louis uh one summer the summer after I had met uh larry and uh and they brought me here and what they saw was just some young people looked like like they might be hippies to them, <laughs> you know tearing out linoleum off the floors, steaming wallpaper off the walls and and doing that sort of thing and it it just didn't wasn't their idea of a Christian ministry. You know, they they were looking for something a little bit more established, something a little more stable, and uh, they, they were very reluctant. But as time went on, <clears throat> uh, it was confirmed to them and to to me that uh, this was this was of God, and that God had a purpose for me. So I finished my uh, education at the Central Bible College, coming to St. Louis frequently in summer breaks and so forth, spring breaks, and come here to to spend time in St. Louis. And then when I graduated, which was 1974, I just knew in my heart that this is where God wanted me to come.
0: Wow, so you've been here since 1974. That's
1: right. (laughs) Uh, Mostly in St. Louis. Uh, I did spend a total of uh, a little over 13 months in Nigeria, West Africa. We, back in the late 70s, we started a ministry there. We were invited by some Christians there who happened to get our publication, the New Life zohar Zoar, Zoe Free Paper, and uh, that somehow made its way to Nigeria. And they wrote to us and said, hey, we would like you to come and start a ministry here. So we We didn't have any you know backing by any denominational board or anything like that. We just went out raised the money for an airline ticket. Uh, Larry went there first, and I came later and uh, so I would spend like three months at a time in Nigeria and then three months here because that's as long as I could get a visa for <laughs> It's been three nights three months <clears throat> back in St Louis and three months in Nigeria so I did this for actually five times and uh then from there on we'd let them. Pretty much beyond their own, we continue to send financial support. Uh, but I did get the chance to to visit. Then I had a reunion back in 2013 after uh, over 40 years, or, th- or I guess 30 years of not being there, <laughs> of not uh, you know being absent from them. I had a chance to visit again, and uh, that was a tremendous blessing. I took my son along that time too, and we, we were able to really see how the ministry had progressed.
0: So um, you heard about Larry Rice while you were in school. Like, um, was he there also, or how did you no, hear about
1: him? No, uh, it was through a fellow student, uh, and they had met at a at some Christian seminar that they had okay. g- both been to. And this fellow student's name was Tim, and he said, "Hey, would you like to go visit a, uh, a young minister starting an evangelistic center in St. Louis? Would you like to go up uh, <clears throat> next weekend?" First I told him no I was too busy. <laughs> but then I guess the Holy Spirit was nudging me and I said okay I'll we'll go. So we left early on a Saturday morning in February of 20 I mean 1972. And then uh we uh left early in the morning, got back to Springfield, back to the dorm late that night. So it was just a one-day trip and uh you know, looking at it from a just a materialistic st- standpoint there was nothing to show for it. We Had trouble finding the place. Uh, When we, when we got there, we, uh, Larry and his wife Penny graciously uh, took us in, served us lunch there. And, you know, just looking at it from a physical standpoint, as I said, this was a mobile home they were living in out in Wellston uh, at a trailer park, which is just weeded over now. I visited there a few years ago and there's nothing there anymore. But, uh, that was New Life Evangelistic Center. They had some homemade tracts. Remember, remember the mimeograph machines? That's mm-hmm. what we, that's what we, they used to make the tracts. And uh, Larry told us, uh, some of us to go around to every <clears throat> trailer in the trailer court there and just share the gospel and give them tracts, tell them about the ministry. And we did. We went to every trailer, but, uh, Nobody would talk with us. <laughs> so, and then, then we did, we went out to, I think it was Northwest, Northwest Plaza, some shopping center in North County. And we, we, we did some street evangelism that, that night, but no spectacular results, nothing outstanding. But the one thing that did stand out in my mind was my conversation talking with Larry and hearing from him the, the vision that God had placed upon his heart what God was going to do through this interdenominational ministry. He had a vision for so many diverse different types of outreach, you know, providing shelter for the homeless. And this was long before homelessness was a national word as it is today. This was in the day, you know, when, uh, they had rescue missions and, uh, and so forth, but we didn't think of homeless shelters as we do today. But even at that time, he was—they—they they were taking people in already. Uh, Larry and Penny—they were taking people in. He uh, might go out on the street, sharing the gospel, and find somebody that needed a place to stay. They would take him right into their mobile home, spend spend a night there, and uh, feed him, you know, some food and and take him in. So they were doing homeless ministry. They didn't call it homeless ministry. They just. Were doing what they believed Christians ought to be doing, <laughs> so so that was the start of that. But and he also talked about broadcasting. Now this was long before we ever knew that there would be a, a Channel Twenty Four television station or Channel Twenty Five as we had in Central Missouri. Uh, so, but 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 yet God had placed the you could say the germ of of, uh, of the seed of uh, of the idea in Larry's heart of Christian broadcasting. So in so many different ways. Uh, we've seen this ministry then develop. But I know the theme that Larry s- expressed to us that stood out in my mind was that New Life Evangelistic Center was going to serve as a bridge between the people on the streets and the people in the church pews. Hmm. And that I've seen as a, as a theme that has stood consistently throughout the years. That New Life has served as that bridge enabling Christians to become involved who otherwise wouldn't know where to begin to reach out to, to their neighbors out on the streets. And it also has enabled uh, people who are on the streets then to be able to be introduced to the larger Christian community in our greater mid-American area. So it, it, I believe that we have, if, if nothing else, we've been faithful to that mission of serving as a bridge, and I thank God for that. Hmm.
0: So giving, um, people in the church, uh, l- like a, a way to reach out to right. people on the street exactly, and then and vice versa, I guess through that, the people on the street are, um, interacting with the people of the church and, mm-hmm. is a, um, but it wasn't just particularly, um, focused on homelessness at the time. It was just, um, that's the need that was there. So right. it kind of, um happened that way huh?
1: right well we are an evangelistic center that's part of our name and that's always been a, a, a very close to Larry Rice's heart uh, to share the gospel the gospel uh, but we see that it cannot be just uh, be done only by uh, only verbally we have to also let people know that they are loved so we have to try to minister to the whole person mm-hmm. if it be food if it be clothing uh, job training you know, whatever, it's not just simply sharing the gospel, although that is central to it. We don't, we want people to come to know Christ. We want people to be saved. We want their lives to be transformed. And we, we, I know Larry saw that in so many of the different secular organizations of, of that day, they were helping with the physical needs and maybe the uh, mental and emotional needs, but not, they were leaving out the spiritual. And so he saw New Life Evangelistic Centers being able to come in there and minister to the spiritual needs of the people as well.
0: You know, you, you spoke about when you were young as like making a commitment to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Is Was that like a time of conversion? Or was that like um, more of just, well, I'm giving myself totally to the Lord? Or like, was there a, a time that you can recall where um, just the... The reality of, of sin and the need to do something about it mm-hmm. did, was that during that same time that you're referring to. Or?
1: Well, that was that was, that came first, uh, the reality of sin and the need to, to be saved. Uh, at the as I said, at the age of thirteen, I believe is when I really experienced my conversion when I when I really uh, came to know Christ as Savior and Lord in my life, but subsequent to that, of course, in growing in the Lord, there was, there were times of uh, deeper commitment to times of answering God's call in my life. Um, one of the times I'm thinking about particularly was a missions convention that was held at our church, and we had missionaries from various countries that came and spoke, and that was a very stirring time for me. And, uh, I remember there was one time when the, the minister made an altar call, and, and it was, you know, he said, who's willing to give your life to Jesus to the extent that you're willing to go to the mission field? And I was, what, 14 at the time. And, uh, I went forward. I was the first one. And, uh, later on, afterwards, some of the older folks came up to me and they really c- c- congratulated me for my courage to, <laughs> to step forward. And I thought, well, I'm just doing what, what I need to do. It wasn't anything that anything uh, to be especially proud of or anything. Just I I needed to do that, and and I think that in particular that day was something that the Holy Spirit brought to my remembrance then, which was uh, about four or five years later than when when the the Holy Spirit said, "Well, remember those times when you said you'd be willing." Now I'm I'm calling you because. I had come to the point in my studying as a university student and I thought well I will serve the Lord as a lay person. And I was totally comfortable with that. You know to be a Christian as a as a lay person. I know for many people that is that's their calling. But for me God had more. He, he was calling me to full-time gospel work as a as a you know preaching the word, teaching the word, but also then never never a uh, eliminating the need to minister to the physical needs of people as well. Uh-huh. At that time, I didn't know of new life evangelistics. Well, it really wasn't even in existence yet. Uh-huh. But uh God was moving in, across the, the country in, in, the house, in the lives of Larry Rice and Penny Rice at that time. And, and they were uh, answering God's call in their lives in somewhat different ways. But, but God brought us all together then and... uh and I thank God for that. Uh, but you're talking about, yes, my conversion experience came first, you know, to settle the sin issue with the Lord. I believe that that has to be foundational in our walk with the Lord. But then, uh, also comes God's calling. I mean, God calls us to Himself, but then He also sends us forth. And I guess you could say it was in the sending forth that, uh, that I also answered that call and, and, uh, eventually came here to New Life Evangelistic Center.
0: How would you summarize the Christian faith um, to someone who just didn't have a clue what it was all about? How would you explain it in a few words?
1: <clears throat> well, I think I'm, I'm still growing in my understanding, understanding not, in, not in the sense of of uh, you know changing the basic core beliefs but but i 'm growing in, in my understanding in, in the sense of helping to being able to communicate that to people i 'm coming to see that uh, we must never uh, underestimate the uh, necess- necessity of confronting people with sin and that they see that there is a holy God, and i 'm not right with God. people have to see that they 're not right with God as they are. And that's, you know, basically that's what I had to come to in my own experience, uh, that there was something seriously wrong. And I was feeling, uh, discontented. I was feeling, I'm talking back in my early, in my early teens, uh, I was feeling that, uh, you know, I I wasn't going to be able to, uh, how should I say it, uh, you know the the contentment of my earlier childhood was was not going to be able to continue on because I knew that there was something wrong in my life, and uh, and I needed to really seriously receive Christ. I had you know verbally prayed the Sinner's Prayer before that, and uh, but I, I needed something deep, a real deep experience with Christ, and that came about, and it wasn't wasn't something where uh, that I I said I you know I would where I would say that I did it. It was God doing it, and God just kind of brought me along. And really looking back over my life, all the significant things that happened in my life, all the significant changes really were the work of God, and I just kind of came along. He kind of dragged me along (laughs) along the way, so I give him all the glory.
0: Is there anything particular that comes to mind when you think of just what gives you confidence in the Christian faith? Or is it just all the little pieces— all, you know, nothing real particular
1: well there are a number of Bible verses that uh, that have helped me over the years uh, one I remember when I was going through a lot of uh, transitions you know, going to the Bible college and so forth uh, in Philippians uh, where it states that uh, we should work out our sal- salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure that assurance, knowing that it was God who works in us. Now we need to work it out with fear and trembling. In other words, we need to take its seriousness, seriously. We need to, uh, it's not something to be trifled with. But in the end, it's the Lord who does it. Mm-hmm. And that brought me comfort, mm-hmm. knowing that it didn't, you know, it wasn't me. It was, it was the Lord who was going to do it. And, uh, Recently, also, uh, the scripture, First Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted more than you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make the way to escape. Uh, and that's not only in terms of what we might think of, you know, temptation, like, oh, I, I'm tempted to overeat, or tempted to or engage in lust, or this, that. It's to those things, too. But also, just anything that God would call us to do, he's going to provide the wherewithal, To, whether it be overcoming a besetting sin or, or just doing something new that we haven't done before, God will provide the wherewithal for us.
0: What kind of people do you encounter when you're uh, involved in this ministry? All kinds
1: of people. I, I've, I've, I encounter people who are uh, in grips of addiction. I encounter people who are, who have lost it all. Who had, uh, you know, everything or at least a lot from this world's standpoint, you know, as far as material things, people who owned businesses and later became homeless. Uh, often it might be a, a, a family loss, the marriage that breaks up or uh, a spouse that dies or is killed and, and the, their bottom falls out of their, their world and one thing leads to another and uh, they become eventually homeless. So we see people that are uh kind of at rock, rock bottom or who've used up every other imaginable resource. Uh so so we we often find people who are at a point where they are ready to receive Christ, uh but not always. You know, we have to be patient with them too. And, uh, I try to sow a few seeds here and a few seeds there and uh, let the Holy Spirit do His work in their lives.
0: Well, how has the homeless ministry impacted, uh, your own relationship with God?
1: Well, it certainly has caused me to be dependent upon Him. And, uh, uh, you know, when I start to get lifted up with pride and think, oh, look what I've done here and there, and I, then I'm faced with a, what seem, might seem like an insurmountable problem in help, trying to help somebody, or uh, you know, in other words, it it shows me that how how feeble I am to be able to meet both my own needs and the needs of others, and I'm, how I must depend upon the Lord and must cry out unto Him daily. And uh, I think sometimes He allows these big problems to to come about because he he knows how much he knows that we need to be dependent upon him and and uh, otherwise we would uh go astray you know I would, I would i might be become content, complacent, proud, and soft spiritually, but God allows the problems there to to remind me how much I need him and to to stay strong depend uh, depend upon him to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. So uh, so I thank God for that, although the problems are, are never something pleasant at the time, that he allows us to be chastened, as it says in Hebrews. The, the chastening of the Lord never seems pleasant, but he does it for our benefit because he loves us. Huh.
0: Um, what can the everyday person do who's not involved in the homeless ministry, but like, you know, occasionally um, most of us encounter a homeless person now and then, or maybe just a person... Begging on the street corner, do you have any suggestions about you know what's helpful and what's not helpful and that type mm-hmm. of thing?
1: Well, I I would recommend trying to uh, if you're going about in your car to to have things with you that you can give away, uh, things like uh, granola bars are are good they're non perishable. Maybe purchase a book of uh, bus tickets if you live in the metro area of st louis or some other city where they have uh bus tickets i know here in st louis uh, you can purchase a book of 10 tickets for 30 dollars and that then you could you can give those out to people i know it's a it's a great blessing to homeless people to be able to get some transportation mm-hmm. so a bus ticket is a is a real tool to help them to get from here to there whether it be for, for a job interview or or to get some other form of assistance, mm-hmm. so so it's a it's a big help. Uh, I some t- take bottled water with me too. I try to have those in the car, and uh, I do uh, try to help people that I see, uh, you know, as they say, panhandling along the street. Although I realize that that's those aren't necessarily the most needy. Uh, the the most needy are, to, to me are the ones that are vulnerable who wouldn't have the the wherewithal you know, to. to know how to do that, to do the panhandling, but I do try to help those that are panhandlers. In fact, you know, several times I've actually pulled over and found a place to park and gone back to talk with the person there rather than just handing something through the window. Uh I'd rather just talk with them for a moment and maybe give them a flyer about uh, some of the services that New Life Evangelistic Center has to offer and, uh, and share with them and offer to pray with them. So I try to do that. I can't do that at every Corner, but I do. I do it from time to time, and uh, and try to you know be available, not to just to, to become calloused. I don't want to become callous to the people that I see around me.
0: Um, many uh, times uh, a person will want money. Is that a good idea to give a few dollars, or is it not, or is it just kind of optional depending on?
1: Well, generally, as a rule, I would say, I, I would try to avoid that. But, uh, but again, if you give it as unto the Lord, trust God to use it in that person's life. It's better to try to offer them something other than money if, if you can. Like I said, bus tickets or, uh, some food, bottled water, mm-hmm. something like that, I think is better. But, uh, I, you know, for, for a Christian, I would just say, you know, be led by the, by the Lord. If God moves upon you to give him, few dollars or five dollars or something, uh, I mean, I don't think we should feel guilty about it. It's just that we should always try to use wisdom.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, turning a corner and talking more broadly than just the homeless ministry, what do you think makes for a satisfying, well-lived life?
1: Well, I know that balance is important, and uh, as a Christian, I try to keep a balance, in my own life of family i am married and have two grown children um so i i see that as an important component of my life and my ministry to my family so i i do try to keep that uh in the forefront also uh, uh and with the balance then is also physical activity i mean if a person uh, is uh Doing a, a a job that is pretty much sedentary, it would good to get out and you know get some exercise too, and all those all those things are important. And if we're going to be at our best for God, we need to be mentally and physically uh, fit and be able to serve the Lord. And and uh, you know my my perspective of seeing this as a mission field is all the more reminds me that I need to be at my peak performance in every. Every dimension, mentally, physically, and spiritually.
0: Huh. Do you have any um, like spiritual disciplines or routines that are meaningful to you?
1: Well, my wife and I uh, do a devotional together every morning, and sometimes we will go through various devotional books. We completed uh, uh, what is it? My utmost for uh, his.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, uh,
0: I know what you're talking yeah, about. I like, for his it. highest. Yes, yeah, 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 something like that. We right. completed
1: that a few months ago, and we've done some books uh, by Johnny Erickson Tata. My wife works. My wife Judy works for uh, Johnny and Friends.
0: Okay, uh, wow.
1: and she's the church relations uh, manager for for Missouri, and so we we get some of Johnny Johnny Erickson Tata's publications, and she's written uh, I think several uh, uh, day by day devotionals. We've gone through those. And sometimes we'll just maybe go through a book of the Bible, like, mm-hmm. right, like right now we're going through the book of uh, the First, Second, and Third John, taking a chapter or so mm-hmm. a day and reading it together and, and praying. And uh, in my personal life, I also try to spend time in the Word myself, just uh, praying and meditating. And that was a discipline that I started right after I got saved, of uh, spending a little time in the, every day reading the Bible and then praying. That was the, the pattern that I developed. And that's, that stuck with me you know, through the years. Uh, and I thank God for, for that, uh, that habit that, that I had of, of reading the Bible a little every day, praying a little every day. Uh, and it's helped to keep my spiritual life uh, vibrant, I believe.
0: What um, Are there any books or, or people who have made a significant impact on your life?
1: Well, uh, in Witnessing, uh, there was a book, uh, How to Give Away Your Faith by Paul Little, and this was, was back in the 70s, and probably might have come out in the 60s, I don't know, but that was a book that helped me in as far as learning how to share the gospel, and it was based largely upon the uh, the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, kind of given yeah. uh, uh, gave a... Uh, exposition of that passage and showing how we can put it into practice in our daily lives so that 's one book that comes to my mind uh, i uh, i I do read but i but I have to say i 'm not the kind of person that 'll just read a book from cover to cover a lot i i 'll uh jump from from uh you know from one part to another uh, and in the process though i i well, growing up, uh, I would always feel more comfortable with an encyclopedia than I did reading a novel. I was never never much into reading, especially fiction. Uh, I enjoyed writing fiction, but I didn't really like to read it that much. Um, but uh, uh, so I, I, I wish I, you know, I wish I would be. I could say yes, I I read a you know a, a book a week or something like that. But <laughs> unfortunately, I can't say that. But I, I do value the, the input of others. And looking back at, as far as persons in my life, well, the, the pastor that, uh, of my childhood, he helped me to become grounded in the faith at a, you know, in my early teens. And I thank God for him. He's gone to be with the Lord just recently. Uh, and i I had the chance to call him you know now now that we have the internet and everything, I was able to look up his number and gave him a call before he passed away, and just thanked him for mm-hmm. for laying the foundation of faith in my life. This was, that was pastor uh, Elmer, Elmer Kirschman um, and that, and I look back at some of the teachers at the Bible college, the central Bible College that I attended uh, after God made it clear to me that he wanted me to become a, a minister and the thing that i valued there at the bible college was the diversity of different uh teachers that we had some really emphasized uh theology you know getting your theology right and uh, and and that and some were more in the pastoral you know the pastoral aspect of it some were more counselors some were more lecturers so there was a real variety of of input that i got into my life and I can look back at several of the teachers that we had when, when I was in Bible college, who who really sowed into into my life, and I thank God for it now. And I believe that my ministry is is richer because of that.
0: I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but um, yesterday I was driving in the city and I saw a a sign that had like a couple ordinances about like um, aggressive begging or something like that mm-hmm. and then it said um something about you know trying to end homelessness in st louis and if you want to help call 211 i think that was the number do you mm-hmm. know like what's going on or is that what is the city trying to do something or and, and what is it or
1: well <clears throat> i could uh, talk for quite a while about the city's efforts uh uh to end homelessness and so forth it's uh, I believe they're not going about it in the right way. And the first step would be to recognize the the magnitude of the need. And the city does has not recognized that. The need is greater than what the city can handle at this point, the city government. And they need to recognize that groups like New Life Evangelistic Center have a great service to offer. And we want to work in partnership with the city to uh, to uh, meet the needs of the homeless in our community and what they what these signs that you've seen uh are against well first of all i i'm not in favor of aggressive begging either you know i, I don't think that somebody should be intimidated to give but uh some some of these ordinances go far beyond that uh, they make it uh, very very difficult for somebody to uh to ask for help and uh I, I think that there there needs to be a you know, a recognized right that people have to, to ask somebody else for help, whether it be to stand on a corner or, uh, they shouldn't interfere with traffic. I agree with that. They shouldn't aggressively, uh, you know, accost anybody, but to simply be there and ask and maybe hold a sign certainly does not threaten anyone. And that should be, uh, considered a right. Uh, as far as, uh, that some of these signs, they, they did put a sign in front of our building. I fact, I think it's still there, uh, which gives a, a, a number to, to call. And it's basically the, a number of, of the, of the, the city's preferred, preferred, uh, program to help the homeless. In other words, they, they try to control this, the city government wants to be able to make the decisions of who, where, what, and how. And they, they do not trust groups that do it independently. Uh, I know Larry Rice has always seen the need to, that we have as a Christian ministry, as a church, to have a prophetic voice, to speak God's word and not be hindered because we are government funded or because we're part of an organization. We want to work together. Don't get me wrong. We want to work together with the city and other, or other agencies, but we don't want to be controlled. We feel that we, Need to follow God's mandates in Scripture and through the leading of the Holy Spirit to uh, to reach out and help people. We want to cooperate with the other organizations, but we don't want to be controlled. So, uh, with that said, uh, you know I, I think we should you take those various things with a grain of salt. You can call the number, but uh, uh, keep in mind that that's not the only place that's helping people. And if people call that number for help. They, they're not always getting a place. The, 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 the needs, when people call in for, like, the the housing resources number, uh, less than half of the callers are getting placed in a shelter. Now, this is a fact that the average citizen doesn't know because the, the mayor and the city try to put a positive spin on what they're doing. And I'm not faulting them for anything that they are doing, but they're not doing enough. And by... Ex- by specific excluding groups like New Life Evangelistic Center, they are hurting the cause of the homeless. Um, the, so so this, the city needs to, the city needs to uh, have a, a larger view of, of the problems of homelessness and a more accommodation to work together with other groups that want to, want to serve and help.
0: Well, uh, just kind of in closing, Ray, what would you like the next 10 years of your life to look like?
1: Well, I would like to see uh, New Life Evangelistic Center be able to reopen. And and some of your uh, listeners may not uh, be aware, I didn't really directly mention that the city closed our building down two years ago at 1411 Locust. And this came uh, as a result of gentrification. That's the term that describes the uh, the reoccupation of real estate, usually, uh, by, uh, upper middle, middle, uh, middle to upper income people and the transformation of neighborhoods, which to the, uh, detriment of the poor. It might replace housing stock, low income housing stock, or as in this case here, it, it, uh, they, they take steps to remove the homeless to get them out of sight and out of mind. And what happened, there were some wealthy people, uh, some residents, loft owners, but also business interests, people who don't even live downtown, who were at the forefront of this in opposition to New Life Evangelistic Center. And it took many twists and turns uh, legally before various city boards and courts and so forth. But eventually we had to close on April second, 2017 and that was a very very sad day and you know we got so much feedback from <clears throat> hospital emergency room workers and others you know that it's much much harder now to try to get help for people because we were a walk-in shelter where somebody could could just come and get a place to sleep for the night and that was our that was our forte you could say that we were there when people were hurting and we we were a go-to resource not only for the directly for the homeless but for social workers and even the police department uh, that they knew that they could bring somebody to us and they would be able to get a place to stay for the night. But for some reason, uh, it seems that the city leaders don't like that idea of a walk-in shelter. They don't like that idea. They they for some reason and I can't really understand why uh, they they see that as a uh, very aggressive or a dinosaur from the past. There still is a great need for that. And of course, now nationwide, there is the the movement towards housing first. You know, don't provide shelters, provide housing. And I'm all for that. I think that's excellent. But in the meantime, you still need shelters. There are people who become homeless in the middle of the night. Sometimes there are people that, that become homeless unexpectedly. And we need to have places that these people can turn to and, Also, the city, as I mentioned earlier, the city leaders need to recognize the importance of faith-based ministries, too, so that, uh, that people will not only be able to come and get a place to sleep, but where they can hear the word of God. And that's what we have offered. We didn't force it on anybody, but we, we did make it available to those who are open and wanted to, wanted more of the the spiritual as well.
0: So there are some other, you know, shelters in the area. Is it that there's just not enough?
1: Right, right. Well, oh, that, that's, that's, uh, the, the basic, uh, the basic problem there is not enough. I, I go out, uh, usually on Saturday nights with uh, one or two of our other staff. And I have to apologize to people and tell them I'm sorry. You know, if, if our shelter were open, I would invite you there. And I'm, I'm embarrassed that I can't. Uh, now we do, New Life is still, uh, we are, we've opened a, a few small, what we call women's safe houses, where we can take some of the women that that need shelter. Um, but as far as the men, we don't. We do. We still have our training program. We we uh, make that available to them. But it's not something they can just come into that night. We don't have a shelter. We have this building, but we are unable to use it because we don't have the occupancy permit. We're moving towards that goal now. Of course, I do have to clarify that our immediate uh, plan is to utilize this building for daytime services because there are much greater hurdles to opening up an overnight shelter. The way the ordinances are written and so forth, it's virtually impossible to open up a daytime shelter uh, almost anywhere because of, the, as you've heard, the NIMBY complex. you know, People say, but we don't want it in our backyard. It's a great thing to have, but not around here. So uh, that's what we're up against. And I think the culture has changed since, you know, the early seventies when our ministry started. At that time, you know, people would applaud you. Maybe they wouldn't do, join you themselves, but at least they'd give you a pat on the back for, for, for going out in the inner city and, you know, taking people into your, into your house and doing that sort of thing. Now they, they criminalize that. And they make, make it so, so difficult to try to d- feed the, hu- the hungry out on the streets, to take somebody into, into a building, into your house, or, or into another shelter. They, they make it so difficult that, that they're actually criminalizing uh, doing what Jesus told us to do in Matthew chapter 25.
0: Well, thank you, Ray, for taking the time, and, and thank you for your thank, service thank you. in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Well, God bless you.